If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. This is Internet Marketing. Welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Site Visibility. With me today is Maxwell Ivy, Mister. What's your excuse? Welcome to the podcast, Max. Oh, uh, thank you, Scott. Uh, glad to be here, and it's uh, really good to get to speak to you this morning. Thanks. So, we're going to be discussing today how to use podcasting to build your brand. But before we go into the details of the episode, I'm going to set it up and introduce Max. So. I actually spoke to Max maybe 18 months ago for my personal podcast, The Advertising Hour. And we were speaking about uh, Max's journey as an author, as a blogger. Uh, Max is, I would say, maybe formally known as now the blind blogger Maxwell (laughs) Ivy, or or maybe also known as the blind blogger Maxwell Ivy. And uh, I followed Max's career from a little bit of a distance. And I've been watching Max's career develop over this last couple of years and maybe transition or add this podcasting skill set to his repertoire as a publicist, as a host, as a guest. And I was fascinated to learn more about Max's journey over the last couple of years. Um, and also, Max, your experience in building your brand via podcasting. So I'd like to jump into all of those topics today, if that's okay with you. That's fine with me. As you know, I'm a, a veteran of of dozens of podcasts, and I'm more than more than happy to to speak on whatever the podcast host thinks will most interest or best benefit their their audience. So, I'd love to start off with your, as I described it, your maybe your journey or transition from the blind blogger to Mister What's Your Excuse. That's something that's been noticeable for me from the outside looking in over this last couple of years. So. Was that intentional that kind of changed your personal branding? I wish I could say it was intentional, just like I wish I could say anything else I've done in the last 14 years was intentional. <laughs> um, I was I was doing a podcast earlier this week when a, a woman who does a show about authors asked me if I worked with an outline. And I said something like, "I've you've been talking to me for a half hour. Do you think I ever have a plan? <laughs> You know, that's just the way I do things. What you know, what generally happens is somebody will say, you know, Max, I think you would be really good at doing that. Or, um, Max, you've been doing this really, really well. Have you thought about expanding into that? Or, you know, my favorite is, Max, I dare you. Um, and, you know, basically, if you don't do it, then you're a ticket. Uh, I started my first website, the Midway Marketplace, in 2007 because my family's carnival business had gone out of business. And I needed something to do and hopefully something to make a living from. So I started selling used carnival rides on the internet. 
and had to learn so many things, including hand coding HTML to get started. And then, you know, people said, you know, Max, we really appreciate how you take on these challenges. We want to hear more. We think you're very inspirational. So that led to the blind blogger. Um, I'm doing the work promoting the Midway Marketplace and the blind blogger in my writing. And people start saying something to the effect of if Max can do it, then what's my excuse? Mm -hmm. And so that has gradually seeped into who I am. And, you know, if you get a chance to check out my logo, y'all, you'll see it's kind of a combination. It has a silhouette of me in a cape, like I'm a superhero in front of a, a globe and I'm about to come and save the world. Uh, but it also has, it has the blind blogger across the chest and it has the, what's your excuse down below is my catchphrase. So, mm. you know, speaking to what you said earlier, um, I have multiple, multiple as known as so, and you know, I was doing a lot of podcast interviews. So people suggested I start a podcast. I've had a podcast for six years now. And people said, you know, Max, there are a lot of other people with disabilities who might want to start a podcast. You could help them. So now I have a podcast network. Um, <laughs> you know, I did so many podcast interviews. People started asking me, Max, can you get me on shows? And so that led to me being a publicist where, you know, I make introductions. Uh, I tell people stories to hosts and make them just want to have my friends and clients on their podcast. So a lot of this is is interconnected. Uh, a lot of it has happened because I did one thing and the next thing and then the next thing. I like to say this is a continuing journey that started in September of 2007 when I filed for my first domain name, not knowing how I was even going to create the website <laughs> to go with it. What I'm interested in, Max, is that in theory, so you mentioned you've been podcasting, you've had your podcast for six years, but more recently over these last couple of years, I know that you've developed into a publicist and you've created your own network. Is podcasting now making up the majority of your time or do you still invest the same amount of time into blogging writing that kind of thing no i i like to tell people i may do a lot of things but i don't do them all at the same time <laughs> so uh so yeah i spend more time uh podcasting and in fact i I've, when i when i first started the network back in january of last year i was really you know involved in the whole process of you know starting with somebody who wanted to have a show and you know, helping them record their intro and submitting and, and doing those things. And I'm finding now, even just a year later, which is a surprise to me, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. A year later, I'm finding that I'm having to uh, look at getting people to do more of that sort of stuff so I can spend my time, you know, bringing in the new hosts, uh, mm -hmm. explaining the value, making connections to potential sponsors or, or donors or investors. So it's, it's just been crazy how quickly it's happened and, and how many people with disabilities or uh, people who support friends and family members who have a disability who have really just commented on how what I'm doing is a resource that was missing and that one of the things the disability community doesn't do well is collaboration between people with different types of disabilities. So mm -hmm. it could be that I thought I was starting a podcast network. It could be that I'm creating the type of community that really needs to be out there for the millions of people that have a disability to finally, you know, work together and get things to change for them for the better. So we'll, we'll see what the result is, but yeah, I spend more time podcasting. I haven't written a new book in a year and a half and it's currently uh, writing for publication is at the bottom of my list. Mm. Uh, blogging is generally blogging to, pro to promote a podcast episode uh, I haven't created any new merchandise in a while because I feel like 
since I can't visually see it and create it myself, that uh, that's that's time I can spend doing things that I am more capable of. So, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. I, I think that you know this is kind of where I've been headed to for 14 years, and uh-huh. thinking of it that way is encouraging because then it makes it. Then it keeps me from thinking, man, Max, it's been 14 years. When are you going to make it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> when are you going to be rich and famous and, you know, um, more people than you're, than the people who've gotten to know you personally, like you have, uh, know who the heck you are. So, uh, it's, it's great to see it all coming together as a, as, as possibly a business model and also to help so many more people. And it's really, you know, it started with with creating website, then blogging, then podcasting, then publicity, then being a host, and you know, here I am now. I I haven't done all of it right. I probably haven't done thirty five percent of it right. At least not the first time. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still falling on my ass. I'm still looking up at the sky some days and going, "What the heck were you thinking, Max?" But you know. I continue to do it. And I think one of the biggest things I've learned about any type of creative process is you have to continue to see it as fun. You have Mm. to do whatever you can to find the adventure in what you're doing, or it becomes simply a job and then it becomes easy to quit, which is probably why, you know, there are so many podcasters who quit about episode seven, eight or nine. A lot of people drop off after that, you know, month and a half, two month period, because they've lost that sense of wonder and adventure. And, I bring that up because for years I would go to conferences or travel for my personal benefit three or four times a year. And during COVID I've missed it. Uh. But what I've, what I've come to understand is that the podcast network is a whole different kind of adventure. That's a whole lot more challenging than figuring out how to get myself from here to Orlando. So I can speak <laughs> an event, you know, it's, it's indoor adventuring, which as opposed to as opposed to a couple of my podcast hosts are outdoor adventurers. <laughs> so that's interesting because that's something I wanted to come on to. So we spoke uh, when we spoke eighteen months or so ago. Well, we talked about a lot, but we talked about accessibility issues with respect to visual impairments. And it's funny, that's something that's come up in the lead up to this podcast as well. We had some technical issues over the last couple of months, just trying to get this podcast arranged. And I'm interested to know, you've put in the hard work over, as you've said, the 14 years in learning how to build websites, blogging, all of those things that you would assume are more difficult for the visually impaired and are more difficult for the visually impaired. And now... There's the resurgence of podcasting, which is arguably going through its third or fourth boom. And I'm hearing this kind of uh, almost feeling of liberation in your voice because you're a natural in front of the microphone and you've put in all that hard work and got through all of those obstacles. And now all of a sudden there's this medium which is booming and you're perfect at it. You're great at it. So is that a liberating time for you at the moment? You know, I was getting those tingly feelings. You get up up and down your back when you hear really good music or Somebody says something that, you know, you're like, well, I thought about that a year ago or two years ago, and here it is. So it is really rewarding to have become one of the cool kids, you know, <laughs> to, to go from people not knowing what the heck a podcast is to listening to them, but not knowing who you are and not wanting to invest 30 minutes or so to find out who you are to like, wait a minute, you're one of the experts. Mm. Um, I want to start a podcast or could you explain to me why my podcast isn't working or, you know, my business should my business, you know, people ask me, should my business have a podcast? Should my organization have one? If so, how do we do it? It's um, just last month. I submitted an article for the American printing house for the blinds website 
on starting a podcast from the point of view of somebody with a disability, focusing mm. on making it as simple as possible. Because as you know, as humans, we can overcomplicate anything, you know, uh, we can decide in our minds that we need to have stuff that we don't absolutely have to have, at least not in the beginning. So I, uh, you know, being asked to write an article for a national online magazine on the subject of podcasting, you know, being invited to speak at conferences, it's like, yeah, Max, you've done the work. People recognize it. And that's, that's a really hard thing with podcasting. Cause as you know, we can do a lot of great work. And 95% of the people who listen will never contact us. They will <laughs> never leave a rating or a review. They will never send an email. They will never buy a piece of merch. But because we were there, their life could have been uplifted. It could have been improved. It could have even been changed, you know, depending on the person and the point they were at in their lives when they heard their content. Mm-hmm. Also, what we do, we're kind of a little bit of a historian in addition to entertainment, just just think about the people who got to interview Betty White over the last year. You know, just think about somebody who gets an opportunity to say to interview Dolly Parton this year because she's getting a little old. <laughs> you know, people who got to speak to uh, to Stan Lee a few years ago. So in addition to, you know, being able to uplift people, we can also educate people. And we're kind of historians. So, yeah, you're right. It is cool to see the media booming again. I thought I, I agree with you. This is probably the fourth or fifth time it's been through a boom. I think the one thing that's different this time, though, is I don't think we've ever seen corporations invest this kind of money, talent, or energy in the market. Mm. I could be wrong. You're probably a better student of the podcasting world than I am, but I don't recall anybody throwing $100 million at a host before now. Mm. No, I agree. It's something that just in terms of podcast sponsorships, just the fact that there are now platforms over this last couple of years that have started to emerge that help people find sponsors and match sponsors with podcasters that shows the emergence of the importance and the exposure of podcasting. I mentioned just a moment ago, there are podcast publishing agencies, which I'm contacted by every single day and publicists that I, I wasn't speaking to three years ago. There's a whole wealth of opportunity there in the podcasting space for people like yourself, consultants, agencies, networks. And actually, that's another thing you described, networks. So there wasn't really a concept of podcast. There were maybe a few podcast networks five years ago or so. But now you see this emergence of people thinking about podcasts as a network. And that's also quite fascinating as well. So there's a lot that's changing, a lot that's developed in the space, particularly over this last couple of years. Yeah. You want to hear something funny? Always. Uh, the, the last time, yeah, the last time I went to Podfest because it's been virtual since the pandemic hit. So we're looking at 2020, I think was the, the last time they held it. And I went to that conference at the time I was thinking about the network because mm. my good friend Alex Sanfilippo from Podmatch had put the idea in my head a year before I actually did it. But I basically told him he was out of his dang mind and he <laughs> let me. He let me continue with that thought for another year before he finally convinced me. But I went to Podfest and I and I went to every vendor. I had two I had two purposes. One, I wanted to get my treasure map signed saying I've been to all the vendors so I'd have a chance to win the zero gravity ride in the vomit comet. But my other my other goal was I wanted to see what the experts of what the vendors would say about starting a network. And you know, when you go to those things, usually when you talk to vendors, they're gonna to try to sell you something. When I asked people about creating a podcast network, you know what I was told by every single person? There was only four people who gave me an answer, but you know what they all said? I said, I want to start a network. They said, they said, Max, forget about it. You don't want to start a network? 
are you crazy? You know, it's like, it was like, uh, they, it was like, uh, none of them thought it was a good idea. And these are people who, you know, I dress pretty nice when I go to these events. So I can't figure they knew I was on a budget or nothing, but I mean, it was like, it's like, they didn't care to talk to me about the technology or the hardware that maybe they could have sold to me if they had had some advice on creating a network. That's a little over two years ago. That's at PodFest, one of the biggest conferences for independent podcasters out there. Yeah, so much has changed. And actually, you yeah. you, you described it as you were talking as your indoor adventure um, over this last couple of years. I'm interested to know. And by the way, before we go into this, I can totally see the next book that's on the horizon. It's got to, it's got to be the podcast adventures of Maxwell Ivey. That has to be the next book title. Uh, I've actually got a working title. Oh, okay, nice. I think you're, I think you're going to like it. Can you reveal the title? Yeah, yeah, I mean, what, what's it going to hurt? Nobody's going to steal it from me. It's a unique <laughs> title. And if they do steal it from me, it'll. If they steal it from me, I'll write the book anyway, and my book will sell more copies because they aren't neat. You know, I'm a I'm a real abundance type of of character. You know, I I rarely see the world as having uh, such limited resources that somebody else winning means I have to lose. So mm-hmm. yeah, if somebody wants to do a similar book, they can and. There are people who are going through similar experiences, maybe not without the vision loss, but mm. or with the vision loss. But there are people. So I think the title should be uh, the from frightened blog talk radio guest to to the What's Your Excuse podcast network. Yeah, that's the full journey, isn't it? From being a guest to hosting your own network. That's quite a big transition. From being a scared guest. <laughs> From being from being a guest who had a fir- whose first radio experience was so bad that um, most people would have quit based on my first experience being on the air on a uh, on a program talking about my business. I mean, it was it was horrible. Um, I was on uh, with Brian Hammer Jackson on Blog Talk Radio, which is kind of like a they call it a radio network, but I think it's more akin to podcasting than anything else. Uh, yeah, I'm and, familiar with it. Yeah. And um, I was on my old Sprint flip phone. Um, my my phone dropped the call, and then I'm trying to call him back, and I hung up on him. And then we finally get reconnected together, and he goes, what the heck is wrong with you? Are you blind or something? And so I'm just sitting there. I'm quiet for a few seconds. And as you know, in, in anything that's being sent out live, the worst thing that can happen is dead audio. I mean, mm. it's it's better for people to be cursing than it is for there to be nothing, especially on radio. So maybe 20, 30 seconds later, I started laughing. <laughs> he started laughing. And we had a good, you know, four or five minute conversation. And I ended up uh, spending pretty much every Friday for the next three or four months talking about my business and my life and, you know, things that were going on with the Midway. and. He was actually uh, at the end of the time I was doing his show was when I really started becoming the blind blogger. Right. So it was, but yeah, it's you know it's like standing outside my garage in the cold because I didn't want anybody hearing me do this, and you know just like man, I don't know how this is going to go or nothing. First time ever, I, I I have friends who will tell you Max is never nervous or never scared. And I have one friend from church who's like, Max, the next time you think you're going to get nervous, would you call me? Because I want to see what that looks like. You know? <laughs> that's, so, the, that's the time to get in your bunker because something's not something's not going right with the world if you're losing your confidence there. No, I, you, can have, you, can, you can have confidence and still be nervous. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive to most everybody else, but I think me and you can, can agree that 
you know, uh, or as as I as I wrote him as I recorded one time, even a really positive person can have a few minutes where they're where they're not so sure, you know. Mm. It's been it's been fun, and yeah, there is a book, and the uh, the the and actually, I I feel like I'm I'm starting to feel like I've been making excuses with that book that I really need <laughs> to give myself a deadline that I need to you know to to say okay, Max, this is when you're going to finish writing it and when you're going to finish editing it, when you're going to send it off to, to start the process. But as you know, I get distracted, you know, in the last, <laughs> in the last year I, I wrote and recorded my first song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I'm doing the, the work with the podcast network. I still do some public speaking, even though I'm not crazy about public speaking via zoom. Uh, you know, so I, I get distracted and, uh, and sometimes it's, you know, with especially with writing, I don't get writer's block, but it's like I really if it is once I get started, I'm great. So I think what I need to do is just put it on my list for the the next few days that, OK, Max, before you go to bed, you have to write for five minutes because that's usually what has worked for me over the years when when writing for the purposes of a book is, you know, just thinking, OK, this is the one idea that. I want to talk about and I'm going to write for a few minutes and, you know, usually that leads to hearing my clock tell me it's two 30 in the morning or something. So, and I, I don't know about you um, as a podcast host, this is something I've been dealing with lately. I'm trying to get a handle on it. Do you ever feel guilty for not releasing more content sooner? Because I, I have had some technical problems in the past year. So I was without a laptop for three or four months. Um, you know, I've, and, and there's, there's been some other stuff. I had some problems with one of the hosting platforms I used for my podcast for a while. So I've got a lot of content that's been recorded that hasn't been released. And so I feel sometimes torn between, you know, just maintaining my regular schedule and, Max, you've got all this great stuff that these people shared with you. It needs to be out there, you know. So, but it's really, um, it's really interesting that because I think there is. You talked about nervousness, but the the other side of that with podcasting is the excitement of you have this finished product, you finish a recording, and you kind of. We were just talking about editing before this. You wish it was just kind of edited and done and out to the world, and um, I think it's because you share that experience with someone. And you learn a lesson typically, like in a in a good interview, you've learned something. Maybe the other the guest has learned something, and you want those lessons to resonate with other people in the world. And so you just want to release them, so that you get that anticipation or excitement. That sometimes is something that I suffer from, and it's I almost don't want to wait till the next episode release that. I want to release it now. Yeah, that's what I fight with. Um, and the other thing I have is. Uh, I w- when I first started podcasting as the blind blogger, I had a co-host named Frederick By, who I blame for getting me started in podcasting in the first place, uh, <laughs> in, in, a, in a loving way because we're still really good friends. But I mean, it's like it was a time when I told people I don't want to have a podcast, but I'll have one if somebody shows up and takes care of the technical stuff. And then you know, Fred showed up and started taking care. Of it. So I've got I got probably twenty, maybe thirty episodes that aren't that aren't available on my podcast feed. They're out there in the world, but they're not where people would expect to find them. So mm-hmm. even that, you know, trying to get that content moved where people can hear it over here. And I, I do have to thank Frederick for one, one really important thing that he did do for me is uh, between him and the famous 
you know, 12 year old Izzy from Podfest. Uh, between those two, they gave me my introduction because Frederick taught me to say, known around the world as the blind blogger, like I mean it. And Izzy taught me to call my show, What's Your Excuse? instead of just saying, What's Your Excuse? I mean, it, 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 didn't, it didn't seem like much to me at the time, but, you know, something just changing the emphasis really, you know, makes it sound more like I'm challenging people to overcome their excuses instead of just reading the title of my show. And that's, that's one of the things I wish more people wouldn't understand is you don't have to have it all figured out when you start your podcast. Mm. I mean, you can change your name, you can change your artwork, you can change your subject matter, you can change your length, you can change so many things. And as long as you change them wherever your, your, wherever your feed is housed, it will automatically propagate that to all the different podcast players you're connected to. But I, I mean, so many people, they're really worried about getting it right the first time. And trust me, I, I have recorded with horrible audio. I've recorded with uh, a camera that was looking up my nose because I didn't know no better. <laughs> I've, re- I've recorded with the old ceiling fan over your head with no light in front of you that everybody has been through. But people, people have still listened to my stuff. They've still watched my stuff. They've still become great followers and and I and I've I've got this great community because I worried more about the content and showing up than I did about, you know, well maybe this ain't perfect. Well, actually probably it ain't perfect. And actually probably it ain't nowhere close to perfect. But I'm one of those people who I believe that a good podcast that's out there now is better than something close to perfect next week, next month or next year. And I, I do my best to live by that example and, and help others to embrace it. Cause I, I think there are way too many people in the world who have stuff to share with us, with, with me and you who aren't doing it because they're afraid of not being anywhere close to good enough. You know, one of the things about podcasting that makes it perfect is when you sense the, when you embrace that sense of adventure that you discussed. So it's less about audio quality. It's less about necessary structure. I think preparation has some, something to do with it. When you are present and you embrace that sense of adventure in conversation with someone, it's really an art. If you treat podcasting like an art, it makes sense that your first rodeo isn't going to be the best, you know, your first time going, you know, it's not, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be clean. You're going to have to do lots of editing. You kind of have to find your style and what you feel comfortable with. Right. And, you know, we talked about editing earlier. So I think full disclosure, I should mention to people what my style is. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at editing. It takes me a long time. Uh, I don't currently have the budget to hire somebody to edit every episode. So I don't do that, but I decided a long time ago, I said, you know, Max, I think that it's more important to get the content out there than it is for me to worry about uh, about editing it at this point. Now, I'm still hoping that someday down the road I'll change that. And, mm. and you know, who knows, maybe somebody is watching today that may want to, to support the WYE network or what's your excuse show by doing some editing. I don't know. We'll, fi- we'll find out when this goes live. Mm-hmm. But so I decided, okay, Max, why don't you just say that your podcast is recorded live, tell people in advance you're not going to edit it, and go from there. And that's what I've done. And mm. so my podcast is about 45 minutes to an hour. Sometimes it's more or less. Um, I have conversations with the guests. I generally start with one question that Max wants to know the answer with or just see where that takes the both of us. And I try to, to go back to something you said earlier. You said that if you're a podcaster and if you're doing this right, that you and your guests should each learn something about yourselves or something from the other person during the course of your conversation. So 
that's what I try to do. And more, and more often than not, I either learn something new or I relearn something that I know should have known, but have forgotten and stopped doing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that's, that's my style. I take advantage of the fact that I'm, my brand is no excuses. I take advantage of the fact that I'm visually impaired and a lot of people have tr- a lot of people out there still don't believe, still still wonder about a blind guy and how he actually does a podcast. So <laughs> a lot of them are more than willing to accept, well, he probably doesn't edit because he can't. No, there are thousands of, you know, extremely talented, professionally educated sound engineers in the world who are blind, yep. who can make the equipment walk and talk. I just don't know any of them personally and don't have any of them on the payroll. But so I said, you know, I'm going to do it recorded live. And so far, the only problem I've had with that, um, yeah, my audience would probably grow faster if I edited it, but it's growing it's growing steadily and they're loyal. The only problem I've really had with it is I've had a couple of guests who want me to edit their podcast. And I'm like, look, I don't do that. It's not part. And so, you know, the whole vibe of how it's not edited, how it's real and authentic and in the moment, even if it's recorded and played later, has really served me well over the course of six years. So uh it problem what i do won't work for everybody but i think it will work for a lot of people especially in the beginning in those you know four five six weeks when you're finding out whether or not this is something you feel like you want to do uh for more than a short-term project then you know then you think about things like should i have better equipment should i should i change the lighting if i'm recording video should i record video you know should i edit if if i do edit what should be the parameters for editing because you know some people you know they can chop off the bad pieces on the end and the middle and they're done but mm. other people they start opening that editing software and three hours later they're still not done editing a 15 minute podcast <laughs> and where are you at in terms of the i'm really interested because we had a, a communication issue in the lead up to this in that i asked you to we were, we were talking about bookings and I use a system called Tidy Cow, and I use a recording software called Zencaster. And it it seemed like it was really difficult for you to use. And actually, I was sitting there thinking, well, actually, this must be really unintuitive for you to use. So Zoom, we're using Zoom at the moment. But in this adventure that you've gone on to learn about podcasting and all the different software that people use, is it challenging to learn all the different software? I imagine from an, ex, an accessibility standpoint, it must be really difficult. Well, for the most part, it's not all that bad because the generally the the better the better options have a lot of things that are fairly similar. You know, a lot of people are stealing from Zoom, thankfully. There are there are some where, you know, connecting with them is a little harder. My problem with Zen, Zencast is I think a timing issue. I think I'm showing up either too soon or too late. Right. And it's timing out on me for the meeting. That's what I think was Zencast. I've done Zencast a couple of times, but for oh, some cool. reason had trouble with it, with you with this time. I recently had to do one on what is that? River FM or whatever. Yeah, that? Riverside, okay. yeah. Uh, uh, I've I, I I enjoy StreamYard, but for some reason whenever I use StreamYard, I have to remind myself to reboot my computer. Or the next thing I, the next time I go online for a meeting after I use StreamYard, uh, my camera won't work. Right. And I have no idea why that is. <laughs> Nobody knows. They think the general consensus is it's operator error that Max doesn't know what the heck he's doing. And I'm, <laughs> I'm more than happy to agree with those people because I will make it very clear to anybody who asks and, and many who haven't. 
Max may have uh, two websites and a blog and podcast, but Max is not a tech person, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, but I do have friends who are, thank goodness. But yeah, uh, the various platforms, it is um, sometimes challenging because it seems like there are new ones popping up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the real problem for me is if I spend the time to figure out what a thing does the first first time I'm going to use it, then I need them to keep it the same way between then and the next time I use it. Unfortunately, most of the people who create these meeting platforms, they like to get paid on Friday or Monday. And so <laughs> they often will update stuff just to update stuff and and that's okay. I understand that. I, c- I can respect the person wanting to pay their bills. But here's the thing, guys. If you update your website, your blog, your podcast, your app, whatever, if you update it, whether you have a, a legitimate reason or whether you're just doing it to, to make sure they know why you're there, do this for me. Send out an email or post on social media and go, hey, we just changed this to this. Here's where you can find the thing you used to find here. Um, and I tell you it, a lot of times when I'm on a website, I navigate to what I want by doing a search for the first few letters of the label for Mm -hmm. the button or the link. So as something that may seem like nothing, changing the name of a link changes the look, the, whether or not I can find the link. Mm -hmm. Um, I have had two really, you know, bad experiences. One was with a, a podcast guest matching service, uh, that changed their their search results page, which I had bookmarked from uh, from I think it was underscore shows to slash shows, and I spent over an hour trying to figure out how to get back to where I wanted to get to, and finally had to send them an email. Yeah. You know, uh, a few years ago, Twitter moved the new tweet button from the top right part of the screen to the lower left part of the screen on their iOS version. And it was almost it was almost a whole day before somebody told me where I needed to go to on the app to be able to post new tweets. Up until then, I could just reply or retweet other people's content. So it's you know, it's yeah, it's a little bit of trouble when you first use something. But if people will maintain consistency and notify people when they have to change the things, that would make my life a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. You know, I. It's uh, but yeah, accessibility with the sites and also, you know, with the sites where you upload the content, you know, with YouTube, Vineyard, TikTok, uh, for people who use Spotify, you know, for, for my hosting, Blueberry, you know, there are so many options for you to choose from. And, you know, even if you, even, you know, besides whatever hosting platform you've chosen for your podcast, you know, you've got the social media accounts and, you know, then you're looking at sharing your content directly or, or posting your links. So it's, there are a lot of websites I have to navigate and a lot of apps I have to use once the podcast is finished recording or, you know, when you go live to record it. So it, it, it can get a bit, a bit aggravating after a while. It's just, uh, I, and, and, you know, we can talk to our blue in our faces, but I found the only thing that works with developers is to find a cost benefit for them considering accessibility. Yeah. So, you know, I used to complain for years about alternative text tags for images, and nobody listened to me. But when I finally started telling them, hey, you do know that Google, Siri, Bing, and all the other search engines index the alternative text you use for your images, 
and you're missing an opportunity for people to find you in the search engines. Once I started telling them that, they were like, wow, man, we've got to add that text to all of our images. And then, you know, platforms like uh, like GoDaddy and WordPress and others started embedding the options to add the alternative text to even remind people to do it. So, you know, we've just got to find more, you know, financial benefits to accessibility. I haven't come up with any new ones, but I'm working on it. Mm. You said something really that stuck with me since when we first spoke. And we were we were discussing this topic a little bit, and you were saying how we were we were discussing that, that it's unfortunate that we have to go to this length because you know just being good people should be enough, and trying to make everything inclusive should be enough. But when it's not, what do you do? And you were explaining to me that one really interesting thing, particularly about the visual, the visually impaired in that community, particularly as purchasers, is that. There's a, there's a real sense of loyalty. So if you go the extra mile to make sure your website is include is includes accessible, then your visually impaired customers will stay loyal to you, and that really stuck with me. Yeah, and it's it's true. I wish we had some some documented proof of it. I only have anecdotal yeah. uh, information, but I do know that as a rule, the visually impaired and people with disabilities they will pay. They're very loyal customers. They will overpay for products and services when they have to in order to support companies that really care about their business. And then beyond that, I don't know if I mentioned this the first time we talked, but we, as a rule, we also make very, very loyal, dedicated employees. And beyond that, it, beyond that, the employer gets the bonus of having employees who generally have a lot of experience in finding creative solutions because quite often when we want to figure out how to do something for ourselves, we don't have, you know, an, a, a a university trained engineer at our at our beck and call to help us figure out, you know, how do we do this? So, you know, not only do you get people who want to be there and they will uh, they will go out of their way to be good employees, but they're also, like I say, positive, creative problem solvers out of necessity. So, yeah, it's, there's a lot of value in in doing business uh, in making sure your products and services and your websites are accessible and also inviting to people with disabilities. There's also a lot of value in employing, training and promoting us. Uh, even the level at which we leave companies is lower than the average for a lot of groups. And then the one other thing that uh, just occurred to me is something that I only recently started thinking about because of my friend, Chelsea Nguyen, who's a, a stylist that helps some it helps visually impaired people and other people with disabilities to, you know, to, to maintain a professional image so they can get the jobs they love. Um, she was like, there are so many people who don't know how to speak in language on their websites that doesn't turn off people with disabilities. And that's something I've only recently been thinking about. And I haven't really noticed anything on any websites lately because I'm usually focused on accomplishing a particular goal, but I'm going to have to, to pay more attention to the language people are using on their websites and their product descriptions and their uh, and their marketing uh, copy on their websites to, because that's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. A lot of times you don't have to be anti somebody with a disability. You don't have, a lot of times it's just the way you talk about it. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who are trying to do the right thing but they're not talking about it with the right words or with the right emphasis or the, the right language. So that's another thing that is much more difficult than making a website accessible, but it's something that 
more people, especially in the online space, should consider because as a rule, people with disabilities are usually more challenged by their logistics, and so they're usually more likely to purchase from home. I hope more people will do it. You're right. It would be great if we could just say, hey, this is the right thing to do. Everybody do it, but <laughs> that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so on the, on the topic of loyalty, I'm really interested to know, you mentioned in the lead up to this at one point, we were exchanging emails, and you said the one challenge that you found recently, I think, was that you had to switch from PC to Mac. So how's that transition gone? <laughs> well, it is and it isn't. Um <laughs> Okay, full disclosure, I got the Windows computer that I purchased for myself from Computers for the Blind, a very great foundation that helps people that with vision loss purchase computers for much more reasonable costs than if you bought them off the shelf and if you bought the screen reading software off the shelf. Because with Windows, it isn't built in and part of the operating system like it is with a Mac. So I bought that a few months ago and have really been trying to use it, but it is... uh, a struggle because I have to think about everything I do before I do it. Then I usually have to get it wrong three or four times before I remember what it is I'm supposed to be doing. So the windows is not great, but it has, uh, but after I spoke to you, I've since been uh, given a MacBook air. It's uh, four years old, but it was given to me by some people at a company that I gave a talk for last year and that I had built some relationships with some of the staff. And when they found out that I ha- didn't have a computer, and then when they found out I had one, but it was one I wasn't familiar with, they were like, Max, we want to help you out. So I now have a MacBook and a Windows computer. And when I need to do something in a hurry or when I'm deciding what computer to take with me, if and when I travel again, I have the MacBook with all the Microsoft software installed on it. So that's great. I'm expecting to get some training from the state of Texas to where I'll know more about the Windows computer going forward. Um, but yeah, it's difficult when you've been using an operating system for you know 12 or 13 years. And so not only am I having to change operating systems, I'm having to change screen readers because mm-hmm. Windows doesn't do anything the way Apple does it. And the main screen reader for Windows is called JAWS for Windows doesn't do the thing any pretty much doesn't do anything the same way that uh, voiceover for the back does it and the keyboard commands are different uh, what you can do with keyboard commands is different so I mean it's uh, this is gonna sound you know like whining maybe but just one very simple difference that is a, that can you know really aggravate you if you're in a hurry is on Mac, most everything is command plus other keys. On Windows, most everything is alt plus other keys. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've been doing command uh, command C and command V to copy and paste for years, having to think to press the alt <laughs> instead of the command key, that's hard, you know? So I'm getting there. Um, the Windows computer, you know, having access to the Microsoft uh, software, which I'm told runs better on a Windows computer than it does on a Mac. So that, and also that JAWS and uh, Microsoft play better together than uh, Microsoft does with uh, VoiceOver. So I'm hoping that's going to be the case. Trust me, I had to go a long way to get the Windows computer after, uh, before my MacBook broke and then after it broke. So I'm committed to it just like I'm committed to being able to do as much as I can, if not everything I have to do with my tablet. But I realize that there are some, some roadblocks and there are going to be times where, 
you know, Max, you just don't have an extra 15 or 20 or 30 minutes to figure out how to do it on the Microsoft machine. But the, mm. the one really cool thing about having two computers, and this has to do with consistency and, you know, being a blind person, it's really important for things to, to stay where I put them. I now have the Windows machine set up at my desk with my camera and my headset plugged into it, and they stay plugged into it. And so I, unless somebody messes with my stuff, I can almost <laughs> guarantee that I can sit down and press record and the camera will be pointed at my face, not over my shoulder. So, you know, having the Windows computer to do that and maintain consistency and then having the MacBook to move around the room or the rest of the house and I have to unhook things and then rehook things. So it's it's uh it's really it's really conducive that way. I you know, I'm really loving being able to just pick up my laptop and go to another part of the house and you know, show my face with the rest of the family so they don't think I'm uh, ignoring them <laughs> or hiding out from them. So but yeah, it's a struggle. Or uh but it's not like I don't want to use the windows. Mm. Um but I will admit that it's because so many businesses and companies depend on the Microsoft software that I decided I had to because, hey, I, I do great work as a publicist, as yeah. a podcast host, as somebody who can teach other people to be podcasters and be guests. But most of the, you know, if I want to grow this business, I need to be able to reach the companies that have the money to invest or to reach the nonprofits or the governmental agencies that have the money to invest. And all of those people use Microsoft applications. Yeah. It, the fluidity is something that's interesting to me because as you were speaking there, you spoke a lot about the resourcefulness and creativity that you have to use to sometimes overcome problems and the amount of time and trial and error that you have to go through to get things working. And what I'm thinking through here is, that it is in theory, if you're investing more time in podcasting now than perhaps writing, do you notice a difference in your productivity and your output in comparison to writing? So are you, how often are you recording at the moment as both a guest and a host? Is it something you jump in and do every day? Uh, it's something I do on one side of the mic or the other pretty much every day. And in fact, next, uh, next week I have a, a really full week because the organizers of the mobility matters conference at Portland state reached out to me and asked me to help them, promote their conference by interviewing some of the speakers on my podcast. And, you know, this was not their idea. This was my crazy idea. So if, <laughs> if this ends up being one of those ideas where, you know, someday me and you are having a cup or, or drinking a cold beer or warm beer, and I have to talk about it, maybe I'll have to admit it was a mistake. But <laughs> next week, I'm going to record five podcast episodes that are going to release the following week, one a day to promote this conference. And I feel like it'll be a fun challenge. I think I'm hoping that uh, it's going to help me uh, address some of the shortcomings in my podcast release process. You know, mm -hmm. we have to create better systems and better workflow the more we do this. So, you know, I, I did a, a 15 video and 15 day challenge a few years ago. And at the end of that, I felt like my video recording quality was so much better. I was, recording shorter videos and getting to the point quicker. And I'm thinking, hoping the same thing's going to happen with a podcast. If I'm doing, at least in the short term, doing more recordings and releasing more recordings than I generally do as part of a promotion, is I'm hoping it's going to teach me something about my process that's going to make it even easier for me 
down the road because my show is the flagship show of the network. So mm-hmm. I really can't stop doing my podcast. Plus, I feel like I'd be letting people down out there. I think there are a few people at least who expect me to, to release new content and look forward to it. So, and I really wouldn't want to just dis- disappoint people. But like I say, it's the it's the What's Your Excuse podcast on the What's Your Excuse network. So, but it, but eventually, in order to keep doing my podcast, I'm going to have to get more efficient, hire more people, or both. So, hmm. I'm thinking next week's going to be a good challenge for me. Um, and I thought it was really cool that these people found me and decided that there was value in my podcast to help bring more awareness to a conference on disability, especially a conference that's focused on mobility in all aspects, not just uh, visual impairment, but also people who are paraplegics, quadriplegics, Mm -hmm. people who are deaf who have sometimes have difficulty navigating because they don't have the option of being able to speak to people directly. So it's, I think it's a valuable conference. It was great that they reached out to me and, and, you know, I'll be, I'll probably send you an email next week and go, I'm never going to do this again, but it was great. (laughs) And Max, you have a very can-do attitude, but in closing for this episode, particularly on this aspect of being a publicist, so, you know, I've got the sense from talking to you a couple of times, you know, the conversation is very natural. You have lots to tell about your story. You're, You're opinionated. You're passionate. When you have to then promote that in other people, what's the biggest challenge so do you find that the nervousness aspect is a challenge, for example? Uh, what kind of the common obstacles that maybe prevent people from actually launching their podcasts and continuing with it? Uh, you asked me about being a publicist yeah. and, and you know, does it, what is the hardest thing about that? Hmm. Now, people need to remember, before I was a podcaster, I was a carnival promoter. I've been <laughs> making cold calls and sending emails half my life. So, you know, making making a pitch and telling a story is pretty much ingrained in who I am. So don't think what I'm going to say now means there's something wrong with you because really I'm nothing special. I'm just a guy who has a lot of experience doing it wrong. So uh, the biggest problem I have is figuring out how to tell the, the client's story in a in few enough words that the person receiving the email will read far enough to decide they want to read more, but in enough words so that I don't leave out the important parts of the story. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I do, and it's and it's one it's one of the reasons why I get so many people who say yes because I don't approach it as I've got to say I've got to get this done under a hundred words or under three hundred characters. My goal is to tell the podcast host or the speaking event organizer. Uh, I want to tell them a short version of the guest story and I want them to, to already be saying yes when they get to the end of the first paragraph and they notice, oh, wait a minute, there's more information about this person and take it from there. That's the hardest part because you know me. Uh, I love those adjectives you used on me. They're mostly positive, but I know that I'm wordy. I know I'm verbose. I know I only have a passing acquaintance with the word brevity. So, so getting the story across in a, in a limited number of words is the hard part when it comes to, to doing somebody else's publicity. And it's the most important part that anybody should think of. See, people, they, even if a host is looking for guests, they're not going to book you because of you. 
They're not going to book you because you got this great product or this great book. They're going to book you first because of your story. So, you know, know what your story is, learn how to tell it, be able to put it in a short but expressive paragraph to get their attention and have them want to read more. And one of the things I love doing is sitting down with people and having a conversation about their story if for some reason they don't completely understand what it is about them that would make them compelling to a podcast host, a radio host, a TV host, etc. So that's that's your first question. Now, second question when it comes to people starting a podcast, um, talking themselves out of starting, or I think the most important thing I tell people there is a podcast, in my opinion, especially in the beginning, should be personal. You should make these decisions based on what works for you and what is important for you. Because trust me, after you do it a while, you're going to change. You're going to get better. You're going to learn things. So in the beginning, I say try to try to avoid these four words, should or should not. Try to make decisions based on what works for you or what you think will work for you as opposed to doing what everybody else says you have to do. So I'm one of these people I, I actually spoke at PodFest on starting a podcast and I followed Dave Jackson to the mic and the first words out of my mouth was I said you know you've spent the first half of the day learning how to start a podcast as a good podcast well I'm here to tell you that in my opinion the best way to start a good podcast is to be bad at it for a while <laughs> and that's that's how I approach it I mean because because too many people talk themselves out of it because they're like oh, I gotta have fancy equipment you know I, I have to edit I have to have lighting. I have to create an intro. Um, when I first started recording videos, I sang on my intro because I didn't have any way to create an intro. So, you know, so a lot of people, they just jump right into their podcast and say, hey, I'm whoever, and this is the podcast, and today we're going to talk about what, you know. But there are people who will say, man, I need to have an intro like some of the people that are famous. You know, even that. Something that shouldn't be a big deal because it's only going to last, what, 30, 60 seconds? We'll, we'll stop some people from podcasting. The important thing is the content. Make decisions based on your personal abilities and resources at the time, not based on what everybody else says you should do. And above all else, try to keep it fun. Try to find some way to be curious, to, be, to make it an experience, to make it an adventure. I really do need to thank my my podcast host, the first one on the network, Emily Trepanier from Shredding for Gold. I really do need to thank her because she's out there doing crazy stuff on the on the hills on her on her snowboard. I'm working behind my laptop, and she's like, "Max, you're on the biggest adventure of your life." As long as as long as I remember that this, you know, having my podcast, helping other people start podcasts, doing the podcast, as long as I think of it as an adventure, I don't miss leaving my house and going to conferences. I don't miss leaving my house and going to speak to local organizations. You know, it's as long as I see what I'm doing as an adventure. And I'm right, reminded of one of my favorite sayings. It came from Elizabeth Gilbert in her book for creatives called Big Magic. Now, a lot of people know Elizabeth Gilbert from her book and movie Eat, Pray, Love. And I'm honest enough to admit that I not only read her book, but I enjoyed it. I learned something from it. But she likes to say, that curiosity will carry you through when passion deserts you. So find some way to stay curious. I love doing interviews because as long as 
as long as I show up and actually talk to the person on the other side of the bike, I'm going to find something new. I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to have experiences through their words that I've never had before. I mean, it's, it's all about staying. Uh, somebody once wrote what they thought was a critical review of my writing. It said, Max approaches the world with a wide-eyed, childlike wonder. And I'm going on to that phrase because I love that phrase. Mm. You know, that's the way I do things. I really am here to see what's going to happen today, the next five minutes, the next two hours, whatever. And as long as you approach your podcast that way, like every day can be some sort of a surprise, an education, a celebration. And even the days when it goes wrong, can still be part of the adventure as long as you don't let it stop you, you know, as long as you reschedule, as long as you reevaluate why it didn't go right the first time. So that would be my, my advice. Keep it simple, make it personal, stay curious, keep it, try to make it as a, as much of an adventure as possible. And Max, for anyone listening, that's curious to learn more about you, tell them where they can find out more about you and the, What's your excuse network? I love that. You know, you need that really well. Um, I can't get I can't get my guests to do it at the end of my show. You just did that really well, so thank you. Um, that's that's one of the. I know you didn't ask this, but that's one of the things that's really wonderful about podcasts is the other hosts they get me. Mm-hmm. They have taken the time to understand me. They've been through some of the same things, if not exactly the same things. And to me, that is one of the real values of having conversations like this. So uh, to your question, people can find me at theblindblogger.net. That's theblindblogger.net. They can also send an email to just ask at theblindblogger.net. My website for the podcast network is wyexcuse.com. Uh, they can also find my podcast on Alexa Goodwin Siri by saying, hey, play what's your excuse? And... They will play the most recent episode, and you can binge listen to your heart's content. I hope you will. <laughs> uh, but pretty much everything goes through the blindblogger.net. It's, uh, it's who I have been. It's who I am. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's who I will be to a lot of people, even while I try to combine the Mr. Midway from my carnival days with the blind blogger, with Mr. What's Your Excuse, and with who knows what other nickname somebody that likes me is going to hang on me next week. <laughs> Mr. Curious in closing. You're someone that follows their curiosity. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And it's certainly, uh, it keeps me motivated. And as I said, it's funny in podcasting because you speak to people and then you move on and have the next conversation. But some conversations, some messages, some lessons stick with you. And I really enjoyed the first time around speaking to you. And you're someone that I can tell I could speak to for another hour or more, you know, and continue <laughs> the conversation. Uh, well, but I, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a very high compliment. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people that I stay in contact with, but very, very few who I, you know, we've made the kind of connection where they want to come back to me again. So I appreciate that. It's a very high compliment. And I could sit and talk with you a long time. Um, you know, you said how things come back around and have they, how they continue to evolve. That's why, you know, that's why when I sing on my podcast or at speaking events, it's usually the river by Garth Brooks, because I can't think of another song that I've heard that I can sing that really expresses, you know, who I've been because, you know, where I'm at now, is not where I started? Uh, and where I'm at now, who knows, maybe won't be where I'm at. Uh, you know, next year or two years from now. I believe I'm pretty close. I mm. believe I'm 
really close to finding my one favorite first perfect thing. But you know me, that won't stop me from trying other things that I haven't before. Yeah. And the, the next immediate challenge is next week with all the podcasts that you're recording. So we'll look forward to that from a distance as well. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Max, thank you so much. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.